Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoy the discussion. My guest today is Joe Saunders, founder and CEO of RunSafe. Uh, NextGen Venture Partners is a very happy investor in RunSafe. And I think in this conversation, listeners will see two things. First, for those who are less familiar with the cybersecurity world, I think this is a really nice introduction. And second, whether or not you are familiar with that world, I think Joe describes the novel approach that RunSafe is taking in a really great way. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joe, learn a lot about RunSafe, and without further ado, here it is. Joe, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be here. Let's start with the history of RunSafe. Why don't you roll all the way back to the beginning? Uh, where did the company come from? Well, our, our CTO, Doug Britton, and I met, uh, say, five years ago or so, and he was at a company called Caprica Security doing some, some amazing security research with the, the, team, the talented team he built there. They're doing research for the Intel community and, and the DoD and government programs and and really inventing great uh, security technology and doing security research. And uh, we were introduced by uh, a partner at, at Wilmer Hale, Stephanie Evans, who thought Doug and I you know, would, would kind of hit it off in CII. And what Caprica was doing was you know, very, very exciting and very intriguing, you know, game-changing, some people would call it. Uh, and Doug and I you know, got to know each other over you know, 12, 18 months and and help kind of craft a strategy for how we could disrupt hacker economics in general, um, you know, because there's a fundamental problem. And the fundamental problem was people are spending millions and millions of dollars to prevent attackers from getting into systems, whether it's a network or kind of protecting breaches from coming through the supply chain or, or even insiders. And the problem was attacks were still happening. You know, we spent all this money on training, all this money on tools, all this money on penetration testing and things to secure things, and and things have not improved. And so we wanted to create something that would fundamentally change the economics and, and actually prevent attacks from, from happening. So that was about 2014, 2015 when Doug and I met, and you know we really launched Run Safe and Earnest, built around that concept of disrupting hacker economics uh, and preventing attacks uh, really in earnest starting in June of 2017. So you saw something in those early meetings that was different. There's a lot of tools and, and types of software to try to prevent attacks. What was it that made you say, you know what, I want to do this crazy thing and you know become the CEO of a startup? Yeah, and it gets to the hacker economics. And if, if, if you think about a fundamental thing in software, what makes software great is... Uh, and efficient is that you know exactly how it's going to perform. And all software is the same. You know, if, if, uh, all software, you know, um, like all the software on a router, all the software, you know, for, you know, a car, you know, that, that manages the brakes or an engine controller on an aircraft or, or even the IT infrastructure software or applications we have at an enterprise. Every instance of a certain software make is identical. And that's great from a management perspective. It's great from a productivity perspective because the software is identical. You know exactly how it's going to behave. And, of course, the fundamental problem that hackers you know, take advantage of all the time is if they get a copy of that software and find a vulnerability, 
Well, guess what? The vulnerability is also the same across a million routers or, you know, 500 drones and a fleet of drones. And so we saw an opportunity to say, let's keep what makes software great. Let's make it remain functionally identical. But if we can make it logically unique, so a vulnerability found in the lab can't be exploited out in the field, then we would have a really unique approach. And it's the changing the economics of the attackers, you know, from the attacker's advantage to the defender's advantage by making the software remain functionally identical but be logically unique was a very powerful fundamental concept. And we thought from a cybersecurity perspective, that will disrupt cybersecurity. It's not about preventing access, but preventing an attack from actually happening. And you sometimes call that cyber hardening. What exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, we use a couple terms. I mean, we use cyber hardening from the inside out, meaning uh, the software itself is resilient from an exploit trying to take advantage of it. So we're hardening that software from an exploit, uh, you know, changing its behavior, doing something malicious, or you know, uh, you know, changing how you know, or we're holding it for ransomware and doing things. So preventing the ability of an exploit to take control of software, do something that wasn't originally intended, is generally what we mean by cyber hardening. And we started to use a term, you know, around immunizing software as well, because uh, what we want to do is kind of inoculate your software from, you know, an entire class of, of exploits um, that, you know, wreak havoc, that steal data, that exfiltrate, you know, information in general, or, you know, hold it for ransomware, or, you know, do malicious things to make programs crash or, or just disrupt the service. And so by immunizing or inoculating it from an entire class of attacks, is hardening or, you know, is cyber hardening of software. And the whole idea, though, the whole benefit of cyber hardening software or immunizing your software is to ensure it, it's operating correctly, it's available, and systems perform the way they're, they're expecting to perform. Joe, I can imagine people when they hear, hey, we're changing the economics of an attack, you know, they could think something like the story about Two people encounter a bear in the woods and one starts running away and, you know, the other says, you know, you can't outrun a bear. And, you know, they said, no, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. So is the goal here that if one of your customers deploys RunSafe, well, you've changed the economics of the attack for that customer. So the hacker will just go to the next guy who, who doesn't have RunSafe. Or is this the kind of thing in a lovely world where RunSafe is deployed everywhere you know, you feel like you've meaningfully changed the game and actually now everyone's faster than the bear. Yeah, I would say everyone's faster than the bear. And it's really uh, undermining and taking the legs out from from the, the person who writes the exploit in the first place. And so if you go back to an example I like to use, which is if you buy a router off of eBay and you have it in your lab and you scan it for vulnerabilities and you find the vulnerability that you want to exploit, then you'll build your malware uh, that can take control of that router at Citibank or Bank of America or, you know, Aetna Health or wherever, you know, that it has that router deployed. Um, and that exploit that the attacker builds, you know, will no longer work at the one at Citibank or Wells Fargo or what have you. And so we're undermining their ability to automate the attack or to build malicious code that can automatically take advantage of software. And so... You compare finding one vulnerability, building an exploit, and then you know having the ability to affect a million routers, 
and then going to, well, I have to be directly connected to that device. I have to do all the reverse engineering, all the effort to go in just to take control and, and figure out what I can do malicious to that one device. Um, and so you, you make it economically unattractive for the hacker in the first place to build that automated exploit that can take advantage. And so by that, we're cutting the legs off of, of the attacker uh, who builds that exploit in the first place. And that is what fundamentally changes, you know, uh, you know, and creates resilience for all those companies, all million, you know, owners of those or operators of those different routers that deploy uh, in that example. Joe, you mentioned a number of potential use cases, securing routers. Uh, you mentioned software that controls the brakes of your car. And obviously, as cars become increasingly connected, there are fears, increasing fears about hackers with respect to our transportation. Can you walk us through one or two real-world examples of customers and how they're using RunSafe? Sure. Uh, so one example I always like to highlight is... Uh, a customer of ours called Vertiv, which is formerly Emerson Network Power. Uh, and Vertiv provides technology that works across critical infrastructure. And specifically, uh, you know, it's deployed in data centers and power plants and nuclear facilities and the like. And what their software does is it's actually the controller that communicates with sensors uh, and uh air conditioning units and, and HVAC systems and the like. And Vertic doesn't want to be the weak link in that infrastructure. If an attacker was found a vulnerability on a Vertic thermal controller in this case, then they could disrupt the performance. They could, you know, confuse the signaling so that the data they're getting from the sensors is true. They could, you know, do, do something else to the controller so it just doesn't, maybe it turns the heat up, you know, to 110 degrees in the data center. And naturally, if, if the data center... Yeah, if the cooling equipment doesn't work properly in the data center, then all the servers in there could overheat and systems would malfunction and the software wouldn't be available. So Vertiv does not want to be the weak link that takes down the infrastructure. And they've told that, us that multiple times. Their customers want to know, why are, you know, what are you doing about security? Well, in their case, they're protecting all those thermal controllers, hundreds of thousands of them deploy across critical infrastructure, you know, so that cooling equipment isn't compromised. Uh, and that's one example. You know, another good example is if, let's say you're a financial institution, you might you might be relying on over, I don't know, in some cases, uh, hundreds if not thousands of different code bases you're bringing in. There could be third-party software. There could be open source. There could be in-house code you're building that you're using you know, that you deploy about your, across your IT infrastructure. So let's say you're a bank like Bank of America or Wells Fargo. Um, in, in those cases, uh, to get really specific, they're bringing in, like Wells Fargo, I believe, brings in 17 different open source uh, uh, code bases into their infrastructure and then deploys it, you know, thousands and thousands of times across their users and their IT infrastructure and the like. And so they want to protect the vulnerability, the, protect the open source code, and open source inherently has uh, vulnerabilities in it. And I just saw a statistic the other day that said 50% of the vulnerabilities in open source code have existed for four or more years, which means, you know, the operating system, the, you know, the other open source products that you bring into your, you know, IT data centers and your IT applications and infrastructure, they are vulnerable to cyber attacks, and we're hardening those. And so we're making their IT infrastructure more resilient uh, in that example as well. So those are two good examples. And, and the way we're able to do that is 
is to easily deploy in their software build and deploy processes. You know, a few lines of code and you can insert RunSafe to inoculate all that open source code to bring in to your IT infrastructure. Joe, those are two important examples that I would characterize as sort of traditional information security markets, critical infrastructure and financial services. You also have applications in less traditional areas, and uh, and that, those certainly were exciting to us as investors in RunSafe. So maybe you could talk about what you're doing in DevOps. Sure. Uh, so one of the big trends in software development is obviously automating and orchestrating the build of your software and the deployment of your software, so that you know, uh, so that new features you release can be pushed out uh, to the users, to the embedded IoT devices, and you know, and to you know, wherever that software is going. Maybe it's a software container shipping to the cloud or on-prem at, at an enterprise location. Uh, but companies like Netflix and Facebook and Google and, uh, you know, Amazon and AWS and Goldman Sachs and Capital One and over 70% of Fortune 2000 companies have invested in rebuilding their software, build and deploy processes using automated tools. They're, they're managing the source code, they're automating the build, they're automating the testing, they're deploying, you know, automatically deploying onto hardware and pushing stuff out. Uh, they're building containers and sending that out. And what we've done is we've made it very easy for people, whether you're using some of the common tools in those CICD or DevOps tool chains like GitLab or JFrog or Docker and even Jenkins that kind of manages the entire software factory recipes and steps that are automated. It's a very easy to deploy uh, you know, with those you know, technology partners that we have out there. And the whole idea then is... You know, since you don't want to slow down developers, since there's a push for high-velocity code release, right? The whole idea is to push code and get it deployed as quickly as possible and, and get innovation out the door. Uh, but, you know, everyone's cautious. They want to have security as part of that package. So we, want, we are, you know, working to insert security into those automated tools. And today, you know, what's, what's kind of... You know, keeping people, um, you know, kind of concerned is they're relying on other tools that will slow down that high velocity release. So, you know, it's you know, scanning and analysis tools, static and dynamic analysis tools, and scanning products are actually slowing down developers. They're they're identifying vulnerabilities in code and they're pushing back to the developers and saying, "Hey, you can't release this high velocity code. You've got to go back and fix these things." Well, with RunSafe built in, we harden those software vulnerabilities as the software is being pushed through those automated tools and deployed out to the user. So we're creating resilience and we're immunizing software without slowing down developers. And that is very attractive way. And like I said, over 70% of the Fortune 2000 companies when they are managing their build and deploy processes are using those automated tools today. Yeah, I think it's a huge opportunity. I think that when people broadly think about securing data and keeping the hackers out. I would say there's a lot of pessimism out there. Yep. I, are you a pessimist? Are you an optimist? You know, how, how do you fall? Well, I will say uh, we've spent millions and millions of dollars, every, every enterprise or every bank or every healthcare company or, or even any manufacturer. We've spent millions of dollars uh, kind of building moats so people don't get in. 
Um, but if you look at, you know, defense contractors might have 13,000 different suppliers who are providing, you know, a combination of software or hardware or both. And if you think about network defenses, you think about the supply chain, you think about insiders, eventually bad actors get in through those systems. They'll breach the network, they'll compromise the supply chain, they'll, an insider will get into the organization, and they will implant malware. And so, you know, uh, I am a little pessimistic in the sense of, you know, we, we spend all these, uh, you know, all these dollars on scanning tools, on network defenses, on assessing suppliers, but we're not actually preventing attacks. And so that's why RunSafe exists is we assume those bad actors will get in despite, you know, your defense in depth techniques, uh, but we want to go the extra mile and really harden the software so, so even if they get in, they can't uh, do the damage that they're trying to do. And so I'm both pessimistic and optimistic in that sense because, you know, the receptivity we're getting from customers is very high. Uh, and these are some of the best companies that have all these network defenses, but they want to harden the software itself as well. So the combination of, you know, knowing bad actors will get in is kind of a fundamental thing to us. And we want to kind of take the legs out from underneath them and, and immunize the software so they can't do the damage even if they do get in. Joe Saunders, thanks so much for spending time with me today. Thanks, Dan. Great to talk to you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.